I listened again this week to Colin preaching the week last Sunday. Uh, if you didn't listen to it, it was all about being in church, and it was absolutely top draw. I highly recommend you listen to it. Colin. Thanks, Neil. It's good to be here, isn't it? It's brilliant. Anybody who's, who's ever been involved in planning a wedding knows how easy it is. Yeah, that way, going clear. You don't get any problems with it. It's, it goes plain, plain sailing. It's, it's, it's really easy. But, but one, of the, one of the things, one of the challenges is if, if, you, if you come to do a seating plan at, at the wedding, you know, who do you sit next to, next to who, you know? You know, great, great Uncle Fred, you know, who won't speak to, to Auntie Mabel, you know, and you've got to keep them apart, you know, because everybody's got to have, have their place. But in the Bible, it's, uh, Jesus talks about, about a wedding. He talks about seating at a wedding. But in the wedding that he talks about, there weren't a seating plan. And so it causes, causes problems because there's no plan. And he talks in this parable uh, that he talks about, he's talking about um, these uh, uh, people who sit wherever they want. Society expects people to look after number one. Don't that, that's the attitude. Look after yourself. If you don't look after yourself, nobody else will. And the Pharisees of, of uh, Jesus' time, they were the religious leaders, and they had the attitude that they wanted to look after themselves. They didn't look after other people. And that's the attitude of, of the Pharisees. In truth, we all, we all like to be recognized for, for the things that we do. We all like to, um, you know, people to notice what, when we do things, we want people to, to see when, when, we, when we do things. But sometimes, you know, Jesus encourages, like the Pharisees, not to go for, for the best place. So Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, says something interesting. He says, this is what Solomon says. He, saw, he says, I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. And basically Solomon says, he says, the reason why we, we're ambitious, the reason why we want to achieve things, it's because we, we're jealous of somebody else, want to get be, be better than someone else. It's not necessarily because we want to better ourselves, it's because I want to be better than Chris. You know, I don't want, you know, if I see Chris achieving something, then I think, well... You know, I, you know I, that's not that's not very good. I want, I want to be better than him because I'm jealous of him because he, I see him achieving something and I get jealous of him and I think no, I, that's that's not uh, that's not on and so I, I, I seek to better myself, not just to, to better myself personally, but because I want to be better than Chris because we've got that bit of jealousy within us. I think that's what our ambitions are like. And in Luke 14, Jesus tells us a parable of taking the, the lowly place at the wedding feast. Jesus seems to like weddings. He, he's involved in weddings quite a lot. And uh, his, his first miracle was at a wedding. He talks about weddings. So Jesus likes weddings. So he, Jesus likes a party. So that's, that's good. That's brilliant. And so in this, in this parable, Jesus talks about taking the lowest place. He says he encourages people not to take the, the highest place, not to take the, the place that they're going to be exalted, but to have this, this servant heart, a heart that has a heart for, for others, not, not thinking about how to advance ourselves. We'll read from the, from the parable in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through to verse 11. And these are the words 
uh, that Jesus. It says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. It says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For the person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Lord, we pray that you'll, you'll bless your word. Give us insight into it and help us to understand what you want to say to us today. In this parable, Jesus talks about the, these people in, in, this, in this story and they, and they take the, the exalted place, the, the, the top, they sit at the top table. You know, you get the top table, we get, get the bride and groom and all, all the, the important people. And then right, two, two uh, rooms down, you know, when we, you can't see anybody, then you, you just get the riffraff, you know, that's where I always end up, you know. And, <laughs> but, uh, and uh, Jesus says, he says, don't take the exalted place. Like, because that was what like the Pharisees were like. They took the exalted place. They, they um, lifted themselves up above other people. They thought, they generally thought that, that they were doing God a favor by, by following him. But Jesus says, don't do this. You're not to be like this. The concern of Jesus was the people who saw the kingdom of God as a means for um, self-advancement. <coughs> That's not what we're to be like. Someone once made the point that um, we often think of, of the kingdom of God and of the gifts of God as being on different levels. As we, as we progress and as we move on, we, we, get, we get higher and higher in the kingdom of God. We start off as just down, down at the bottom and then we advance. Uh, we might get on the worship team, you know, we, we get up a bit. And if, we, if we're really, really holy, then we get to... To Paul's position, he's, he's the leader of the church. That's a bit like the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know. And, uh, but you've got to be really holy. You, you, you hardly ever do anything wrong. If you, you know, that's, that's right, isn't it? <laughs> you know, because, you know, he's just about perfect. You've got to get me to get to that level. <laughs> However, that's not the way it really is. <laughs> you know, God's kingdom is, is on levels, actually, and the more we progress, it is a level. But the levels aren't higher up. But the more we progress, then the levels are lower down. And to, to achieve God, God's blessing, we've got to be able to, to stoop. We've got to humble ourselves. You know, take that, that step of, of humbling ourselves. Being great in the kingdom of God isn't a matter of serving ourselves, but it's serving other people. Yeah. It's that having that attitude of how can I serve other people. At one time, the disciples argued amongst themselves as to which one was the greatest, and they had a big argument. But they weren't saying, John weren't saying to Peter, saying, I think you're, you're the greatest, you're brilliant. They were, each one was saying how, much, how great they were. Can you just imagine what it must have been like? Peter, he speaks, when he says, I'm the greatest because I'm the, the one who always speaks up when, you know, when any, anybody 
when Jesus asks a question, and the other said to him, yeah, but you always get it wrong, you know, so it, it can't be you. <laughs> Judas speaks up and he says, I, I'm the treasurer, you know, I must be, must be pretty good to be treasurer. But then they say, well, it's a bit dodgy what you do with that money, you know, I'm, you know. Thaddeus speaks up and he says, I'm the greatest because nobody's ever heard of me. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not promoting myself. Then John speaks up and he says, no, I'm the greatest because it says in the Bible, it says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Then all the other disciples say, yeah, but that only says that in the Gospel of John and you wrote it. But it's not, <laughs> not really impartial, is it? And Jesus eventually speaks up and says, The greatest among you should be the youngest, should be like the youngest. And the one who rules, like the one who serves. But who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? It's not the one who is at the table, but I'm among you as one who serves. What a contrast to all this, this self-serving when Jesus says, I'm among you as the one who serves. Jesus, the, the, the creator of the universe, the one who was above everyone else, he came and he, and he served. And that's what his, his ministry was like on earth. He, he washed dirty, smelly feet. That's, that's what he did when nobody else would do that. He, he, he served other people. That was his attitude. Not to advance himself, but to, to serve others. It says again in Philippians Chapter 2 says these words are going to come up. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It goes on. Next one. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Well, that only comes through service, through having a heart of service, through having that heart of service for God's kingdom. What does having a servant heart look like? What is it like? When you think of the word servant, what do you think of? Do you think of something that's old-fashioned, something that's out of date? You know, something, something like Downton Abbey, you know, that the servants here are all, you know, all humble, you know, all been oppressed. Perhaps we think it's, it's something for, for, an out, for an age that's gone by. We, we shouldn't think about that anymore. But Jesus tells us and encourages us that we are to have the heart of a servant in the way that we live our lives. But what does that mean? Well, one thing it means is it means seeking to bring out, bring out the best in other people. Yeah. Jesus said that he came as one who served. And if he can do that, if, if, if the, the creator of the universe could be the one who served, then, then we should be like that as well. Jesus didn't mix with people who he thought could advance his cause. Jesus mixed with those who would seemingly damage his cause even. You know, he did the very opposite. If, if Jesus wanted to, to mix with, with the, the, the best of the day, 
then he didn't, didn't do a good job with that. He, he mixed with those who people didn't really, um, didn't really appreciate. So often the world defines people by what they do, by uh, how they achieve things. They write people off who they see are failures. They, they, they don't achieve things and, and they, they write them off, they're written off in, in the world's eyes. Jesus mixed not with influential people but, but with people who didn't necessarily look great in, in the world's eyes. And so pe- society gives labels to people. Remember a few weeks back when, when uh, Joe was on the radio being interviewed and uh, talk, talked about, about the work, work of the church, work of, of uh, the food bank and that sort of thing. And, uh, and when she interviewed, Toby Foster got on about the, the, the headlines in the, uh, in the Chronicle, about the uh, things that were going on in Barnsley, about the, um, the drugs and, and the, the spice and all that sort of thing. And you were talking about this article in the Chronicle and, and the, in the conversation between the two of them then, um, that, there was that point that, that Joe brought across about how we to, you know, to, to have that heart for people who others don't have that heart for. If you go online, if you, if you go on the internet, then it's the most wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> it's, you, you, look, you look in the internet and you look at comments and, and it's, you know, and you look at any comments, you know, people have got an opinion on the internet, aren't they? And it's, you know, they've always got something negative to say. That's, you know, people probably don't say it out loud, but then on the internet, they, they come alive with, with all the negative comments. And when... when when the, uh, you know, when the comment about such a story as that, then you read all sorts of comments, people writing people, people saying people are worthless. That's not God's outlook on people. God doesn't look at somebody and say that they're written off, that they're worthless. doesn't matter who they are, no matter where they are in life, then he has got a plan for them if they will surrender to him. Jesus took a, a group of 12 men and he used them to turn the world upside down. There were a varied bunch of people, absolutely, totally different from one another, vastly different, and they didn't seem qualified for this job of, of transforming the world. In the disciples, we had, we had people as diverse as Matthew, who was a tax collector. Matthew would be, probably be seen as a traitor to, to many of the, of the Jews of that day because he was a collaborator in, in some people's eyes. He, he worked with the Roman authorities to not only to get the taxes, but to, but to swindle people out of, the, out of the money. And so he'd be seen as a very, um, not, not a very nice person. Then right at the other end of the spectrum, we had Simon the Zealot. That's not Simon Peter, that's Simon the Zealot. We don't know a whole lot about Simon the Zealot, except his name was Simon, and you've guessed it, he was a zealot. <laughs> but being, being that, being a, someone who called Simon the Zealot then, I don't think him and Matthew would have been the best of friends, uh, naturally speaking, but Jesus brought these two people together, and I, I guess that they had many arguments throughout the years, Simon, Zealot, and, and Matthew. Then he had Peter, who, as we said, always got things wrong. We had James and John. What can I say about James and John? They had, they had a temper on them. You know, one, t- one time when they were, Jesus was speaking, pre- preaching the word, some people rejected what Jesus said. And what, what James and John said, they said, shall we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? 
Well, talk about having a temper. It's a good job they never came out giving daffodils out with us, isn't it? You know, somebody, somebody refused a daffodil and they'd be calling down fire for destruction on them. And this is the, the, this is the bunch of people who they had such a, you know, how, how are these people going to change, turn the world upside down? Of course, it wasn't all bad. They had one trustworthy person, Judas. He was trusted with the money bag, as we said. And of course, we know only the most holy people can be trusted with that, with that task, can't they? But the disciples were a mixed bunch of reactionary people from all different sides of the uh, political spectrum. But yet Jesus used these people. Jesus saw that in these people, these people who, who didn't really have any potential in, in the world's eyes, he saw that they had the potential to transform the world. Not because they were brilliant people, but because Jesus saw that, that when they were transformed, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit got hold of them, then they could be a different people. They could be transformed. When they saw, uh, as they would see, the power of the risen Christ, they would see Jesus suffer and you will see, see him rise again from the dead and when the Holy Spirit took hold of that then they will be different people they will be transformed and they will be unstoppable because when God gets hold of somebody when he fills them with the, his Holy Spirit then they are unstoppable nobody can stop what God is doing maybe there are people in this town people who in Society's eyes are written off. People say that they're no good. Maybe there are people in this town and they look hopeless. But Jesus looks on them and he sees the potential that is in their lives. And these are the type of people that Jesus looks at and he sees that they can be influential people. Also, this, this attitude of Jesus... This of looking out for the best, it should encourage us as well. If we fail, if we've let God down, then it's not the end of the story. Sometimes we feel like that. We think, well, I knew better and I failed and I let God down. Can God ever forgive me? Can he? Can he forgive me for what I've done? Well, he can. He can. He can transform us. Even when we've failed him, even as Christians when we've failed him, then Jesus doesn't look at the failure, but he looks beyond that. Second thing that we're going to look at. The second thing that a servant heart looks like, it, it doesn't worry about looking foolish, but it's prepared to take risks. Are there any kids in here still? Yeah, is there? Yeah, yeah I'm not going to say this now. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't want to be... I'm going to give an example, but I, something I did when I fought, but I don't, want to be, I don't want to be blamed by parents for encouraging something, so I'll, I'll leave that out. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but anyway, <laughs> but wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if God gave us a, a clear vision of what, what life was going to be like when we followed him? If he said, Are you going to follow me and you know, this is what it's going to be like. This is where I'm going to take you. It's going to be, have a bit of a rough path here, but, you know, don't worry. You'll be okay because this is where you're going. But when God calls us, he doesn't always tell us what, what he's got in store for us. He doesn't tell us the plans that he's got for us. He tells us the plans that he has for us are good, 
He doesn't tell us what they are or where we go, how we're going to get there. Sometimes it might seem risky to do what we feel God is calling us to do. It can seem difficult. And we might think, what, what on earth is this? Is, is God really calling me to do this? What I, what I think. Sometimes it might seem risky. But God called us to do things. And God called us to trust him, to put our faith in him. It doesn't mean that we throw our brains away. We're still to, to use our brains. It's not, not an excuse for, uh, for disengaging our brain. We've got a brain. God expects us to use it. But sometimes God calls us to do things. And God calls us to go places. that We don't really know and we don't really understand. When God called Abraham, he told him to get out of his own country and to go to a place but he didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't tell him what he was going to do. But Abraham followed him. 17 times in the Gospels, Jesus says, follow me. Sometimes he says it to an individual. Sometimes he says it to the whole group of people who was listening to him. He says, follow me, but there's something missing every time he says, follow me. Yeah, that's it. He never, Jesus never says where. It says, follow me, but he doesn't, know, he doesn't say where they're going. If I, said to you, if I said to you, come with me after the service, you're going to say, why, where are you going? But Jesus says, follow me, but he didn't tell the people where they were going. They had to trust him. They had to put their faith in him. Perhaps if the disciples had realized what was going to happen, then they wouldn't have followed Jesus. They'd have said, no way, I'm not, I'm not letting myself in for that. But Jesus said, follow me. So it shouldn't surprise us if God called us to do things that might seem foolish. It shouldn't surprise us if, if people don't understand. Having a servant heart means that we follow Jesus, even though we can't make sense of his call to us at, at all times. And next, having a servant heart means that we have time for those who other people reject. The Pharisees, they were a bit, they were a bit like the, the, the Basil Faulties, weren't they? You know, Basil Faulty in Faulty Tower, if you've ever seen it, then it runs in a hotel, which is fine, apart from the fact they didn't like the guests, you know, which is a bit of a drawback, isn't it? And because he thought he was better than them, he thought that he was a better class of person than them. And that's like the Pharisees, well, they thought they were better than the ordinary people. But Jesus mixed with people, as we've said, who wouldn't advance his reputation. He had a heart for people, and he didn't care who. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't care who responded to that. He didn't care whether they were rich, whether they were poor, whether they were influential, whether they weren't. He didn't care. His offer was to everyone to, when he said, follow me, follow me, and he led them. He didn't care who they were. But Jesus mixed with people who didn't enhance his reputation. He mixed with a Samaritan woman. There's so many things wrong with that single meeting with this Samaritan woman. Firstly, she was a woman. Next, she was a Samaritan, which at the time the people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't accept. She was, a, she was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was a certain type of woman. There's so many things wrong. But Jesus just wiped away all these uh, barriers that society put up, and he says, I'm not listening to them. I'm not listening to, to what these uh, what society tells me I can do and what I can't do, who I can talk to and who I can't. Jesus said, I've got time for this woman because 
He loved her because he had a heart for people and a heart of compassion for people. And he saw that this woman was a hurting person and, and she needed the love of God in her life. And when she did, she, she was transformed. And this woman who was actually an, an outcast in the society, what, what she was in, she went back and she told the people and the people came and followed her. So much was, was a transformation of, uh, that, that Jesus had on her life. When the church steps in and holds out a helping hand, then it, it has a right then to, to preach the gospel to those who are in need. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, says, You cannot warm the hearts of people with God's love if they have an empty stomach and cold feet. He realized that when we show the love of God to our actions, then we have a right to bring the gospel. That's why the church should... And, and does lead the way in things like, like food bank and, in, and cap, Christians Against Poverty. And that's good that it does. And this type of thing is what James talks about. We've been looking at James in Connect Group before we had the um, current set series that we're doing, the Bible series. And in James, James talks about this, about pointing out that it's when people see these, these practical displays of love that we show that they will in turn respond to the gospel and respond to what we have to say. So having a servant heart means that we have a heart for those who others may reject and showing them the love of Jesus. And then finally, it also doesn't care who gets the credit. There's a saying that there's no limit to what a person can do if he or she doesn't mind who gets the credit. I'm going to tell you a traumatic tale from my childhood. It still, it still hurts now. When I, was, when I was a child at school, probably about 10 years old, we had, we had, there was a magazine at school, there was a school magazine. I was a magazine, it was just a few photocopied you know, pages of a paper, but you could make submissions to, to the magazine and, you know, and when you did, you got your name next to your, the article that you had or whatever it were. People put jokes in and all that sort of thing. Well, the, the main thing, the main, the highlight of the magazine, it was a story, what somebody had written. One, one time in the magazine, my story I'd, I'd written got chosen for putting in the, in the school magazine and I thought, that's brilliant, you know. My, my life is made, you know. I don't need to achieve anything else in life now. I've achieved it at 10 years old. I've achieved everything I need to achieve. And so I waited for the, for the school magazine to come out. Looked through all the pages. Everybody had the name against the, these silly jokes, what they nicked out at Beano, they had the name against it. And then I saw my story, the highlight. It was there, but they didn't put my name there. They didn't, it didn't say that it would by me, you know. So, you know, I'd waited, I'd anticipation, and I'd, I'd forgot to put my name there. I thought, well, everybody can see the story, but nobody knows it's, it's by me. It was devastating. 38 years later, I've no idea what the story was about. But I can remember that they didn't put my name in the magazine. <laughs> we like to get credit for what we do. But having a servant heart means that we don't care who gets the credit. Sometimes it's quite annoying um, coming to church and listening to the sermons because often somebody preaches a sermon that I'm getting ready to, to prepare. 
That's, that's a bit of an happened the other week. Uh, the, the, the guy from uh, Adopted Child spoke about Barnabas. And Barnabas was a man like this in, in the Bible. And he, he didn't care who got the credit. Barnabas had a heart for other people. And Barnabas, his name meant something. Barnabas, you know, his, his name meant son of encouragement. And names in the Bible often have a meaning. We like our names, don't we? We like people to get our names right. Have you ever been in that, that situation where you've known somebody for years and you actually realise you're talking to them, you don't actually know what the name is and you've got, to, you've got to try and avoid having to speak the name because you don't know what the name is. Or then you get somebody and they've known you for years and they'll call you by the wrong name. Has that ever happened? Somebody who I know, they, they always call me by, by, by my dad's name, actually, Arthur. And it's, I've known him for so long that, that you know, I can't correct him now because I've, I've never, so I just have to respond to it, you know. And so I, I, I don't bother telling him. Our names are important, aren't they? In Barnabas, that wasn't actually his real name. It was, it was a nickname given to him. And it meant son of encouragement. And the reason why he had that name was because people saw in him this, this, this heart, what he had for other people, a heart for bringing out the best in others. He didn't care about advancing himself. He wanted to see the kingdom of God advance. And it, so he didn't care who got the credit. Barnabas was the first person to recognize uh, that Saul, who had been a persecutor of the church, had become a believer. Nobody believed him. Nobody believed that, that Saul was genuine. But Barnabas did. Barnabas had time for him. And as you study the account of Barnabas and Saul, we see that they went out together. They went preaching together. And, uh, but, and there's an interesting progression in, in this, this account. Because, first of all, when we read about Barnabas and Saul, we, uh, we see that Barnabas is, is a film. And he gets the top billing. Barnabas and Saul. It sometimes happens in bands, this. You know, who's heard of Bob Marley and the Whales? You must have done. You know, some people, now some people, I hate it when people say, that's before my time, you know. Well, it's, it's music. You should, you should listen to it. You should listen to the past. You don't stop reading a book because it was written before you were, you were born. So if you've not listened to them, you need to do, right? So, but first of all, when Bob Marley and the Whalers started, it, it, it was just the Whalers. But then, as Bob Marley got prominence, then it became Bob Marley and the Whalers because his name was, uh, he, he rose above him and, and people saw his, his, uh, you know, his prominence and how good he was. And eventually, people do, often just refer to him as Bob Marley. You know, it might be Bob Marley and the Whalers, but they just refer to Bob Marley because Bob gets the prominence because he's, he's, he's seen as the talent that he has. And that happens with, with Barnabas and Saul. First off, Barnabas gets top billing. It's Barnabas and Saul in the book of Acts. Then as we keep on reading it, we see that there's a change. And no longer is it Barnabas and Saul, but it's Paul and Barnabas. And then eventually, Barnabas slips away from sight and Paul becomes a solo act. And he's on his own. Barnabas and Saul actually fell out with each other. Over a man called, called John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, I believe. Um, nephew, can't remember now. His nephew, I think. Yeah, and uh, but Barnabas championed him uh, because he'd let them down. Uh, John Mark had let them down, but 
Barnabas says, let's give him another chance. But Saul said, no. Paul said, no. You know, he's had his chance. I'm not going to risk him again. But Barnabas' concern was that God would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be lifted on high. That was what, the, what Barnabas wanted. He wasn't concerned about uh, exalting his own name. He didn't care who got the credit. And he'd mentored Paul, and he'd, he'd encouraged him, and he brought out the best in Paul. And he'd done the same with, with John Mark. Barnabas, he wasn't threatened by someone else's success. And when uh, Paul starts to get top billing, when Barnabas is out of the picture, Barnabas isn't concerned. He's not worried about that because his concern isn't that he gets the top billing. His concern is that the name of God is, is exalted and that Jesus is lifted on high. How would you feel if you were a person who had some of the greatest influence in this church? Greatest influence in, in the town and, and God did a great work and he used you to do a great work but yet nobody knew the work that you did. Nobody gave you the credit. How would you feel? Well, Barnabas, that's what it was like. He, he had a great influence in, in, the, in the New Testament and his name just fades away and we don't really see the great work that he did. He was responsible for you know, encouraging Paul who wrote... Uh, half, of, half of the New Testament, half the books in the New Testament, who's got a great role in the book of Acts. He was responsible for encouraging him. Without Barnabas, then where would Saul have been? Would he have done half as much? Probably not, humanly speaking. But if God did a great work in you and nobody recognized that, how would you feel? There are lots of people who don't necessarily get prominence, they don't stand on stage, they'll never be in the worship band, they never preach, but yet they've got great influence. Got great influence in this, in this church. If, if they weren't here, then things would fall apart, but yet people don't see what happens. That's important. That's probably more important than the, the things that are visible. It's important that we don't have that sort of image of, of looking at people and thinking because we, they're visible, because we see what they do and they're the more important. There's, there's nothing uh, more, more silly than that. There's nothing further from the truth. There's nobody more important because they're more visible. But often the people who are, are not visible, who we don't see the work, what they do, do a work that is just as important, perhaps even more important because it would fall apart without them. If there's one thing, and if the band uh, can make their way back, please. If there's, there's one thing that we can take away from the example of Barnabas, is that we don't need to be in a hurry to take a position of, of recognition, a position of note. Don't be unduly concerned if what you do is not immediately recognized. Jesus says, he says, what you do in secret, I see. And Jesus sees it. And he says, if you've not received a reward now, you're going to receive a reward uh, to, in, in the time to come. So don't worry, don't be upset if what you do isn't, isn't immediately recognized. Barnabas learned a valuable lesson. It doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as the name of Jesus is glorified.
as a result of not wanting the credit, actually, his influence was immense. We can't really measure how much influence he had. So we're, we're called to be like that. We're called to be people who have a heart for wanting to see God's, God's kingdom advance and exalt. We've got to have a heart for other people. It means encouraging others, seeking to bring out the best in other people. It means not worrying about looking foolish. What are people going to think? What if this doesn't work out? If God is calling you to do something, then then go. Have the heart of a servant and set to God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to respond to what you are calling me to do. It means having time for those who others would reject and others don't have time for. See the potential in a heart that can be transformed by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. And not caring who gets the credit. Does it matter? Does it really matter who gets credit for for the things that we do? In the the whole scheme of things, what matters is that the name of Jesus is exalted and glorified in in this church, in this town. That's what we want to see. And what the name that gets credit wants to be the name of Jesus. That's, that's the name that is higher than all others and that's the name that we need to make sure gets the credit because he does it all. Because anything that we do is just because he's enabled us, he's given us the gifting to do it. And we, we've, not, we've not got a gifting because we're better than anybody else. It's purely by the grace of God and by his, 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 his mercy to us. So we're called to have that, that heart, a heart of a servant that loves uh, others and that puts God first.